Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning with a lot of thankfulness. You've been good to us. The spring weather is here in full effect. Thunder over Louisville is so exciting here in our city. And yet we've come to Sunday morning, which is the best time of the week for us. God, we are people dependent upon your word. We must hear from you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, Father, your children are here today hungry and ready for you to explain yourself. And so, God, we ask your blessing upon us in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, as we move right along to the passage where Jesus begins to call his disciples. We ask your blessing upon it today, God. Give us ears to hear. Grow our faith, God. Make us faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to... If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 919 right there in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Page 919, Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. Last week our message was on the message of Jesus, repent in the gospel. I asked you, what is it that Jesus preaches? What is his message? What does Jesus the Savior say when he talks to people? And it was very simple. It was repent and believe the gospel. That is God's message. That is the church's message. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That is his message to repent and believe the gospel. That is the only way that people can be saved. And we saw that that's what Jesus came preaching. But we know that God's plan from the beginning to the end that we're in the middle of is to advance this message to the whole world. God's plan is to take this message to the whole world. He wants everybody to hear it. The Bible would say that far lands, the uttermost parts of the world, remote islands, everywhere, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, the Bible would say, need to hear the saving message of God. That's what the Bible says. And so one wonders, how is he going to do that? How is Jesus going to get this message of repent and believe in the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, that he died on the cross for our sins so that we would not suffer the punishment of God for our sins? How would that get to people? And he answers it right away. Immediately we see Jesus moving and recruiting what he would call his apostles, his twelve. He found people that he invested in, 12 men that he taught, that were with him day and night. They were with him all the time for three years. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, after his ascension, he filled them with the Holy Spirit, empowered them to be his witnesses, and he sent them out. And he told them to go and do the same thing of preaching the gospel. That was 2,000 years ago. Here we are in 2016. That was in the Middle East. Here we are in Fairdale, Kentucky of the United States of America. And praise God, the gospel reached here. This church, the first Baptist church in Fairdale, Kentucky, was established in 1916. We are coming this August upon our 100th birthday. Our church is 100 years old. But what that means is there were no Baptist Christians in this part of town, this part of the world, this part of the USA before 1916. 
There were Christians in Fairdale, praise God. The Methodist church is about 30 or 40 years older than us, just right down the road here, Mount Holly Methodist Church. That church has been here since sometime in the 1800s. We thank God for that. So they were the first church here. We were the second church here. And what that lets us know, before their beginning, there were maybe no Christians here. And the gospel had to get here. But see, it was part of God's plan. But we look at it now like that's ancient history, right? This is 2016. That stuff happened a while ago. But I tell you that to get you to see that there was a time that it got to Kentucky for the first time. There was a time that it got to the USA for the first time. And you go back to where that's happening, you go back to where it's coming from, and you end up with Jesus calling his people and saying, go. Go and tell. Go and tell people. And we have the promises of God that he will build his church and nothing, not even the gates of hell, can stop it. He's going to build his church. We also have him saying that he, by the Holy Spirit, will empower us to be his witnesses to everywhere that there is. You and I hear our Lord Jesus telling us, go everywhere and I will empower you to preach the gospel everywhere. That's how we got into the situation that we're in of the church being here in the USA, of the church being here in Fairdale, Kentucky. It started with Jesus recruiting in his disciples, investing in them, teaching them, and sending them out. We're going to start with our passage today in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, where this begins. Up until this point, all we have, all we have seen is John the Baptist, the one before Jesus, telling people that Jesus is coming. Then Jesus comes, John the Baptist makes clear that he's not the Savior. He's just pointing people to the Savior. He's just warning people to be ready for the Savior. And then we have Jesus coming. We have his temptation, we have his baptism, we have his beginning. Then we have the Lord, or we have God the Father affirming Jesus as the one. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Look at him, listen to him. We have that. Then Jesus begins by preaching there in verses 14 and 15. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then it begins here in verse 16. Read with me if you will. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is it. Seems to be a very simple passage. This is Jesus calling the first disciples. At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, when we finish this passage, Jesus now has four. We know that he's going to get to twelve, but here he has four. Today I want to give you four characteristics of a follower of Jesus. We're going to see this from Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Those are the first four 
Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Peter, Andrew, James, and John are the first four that Jesus called. And looking at this passage and looking at their experience, I want us to see four characteristics of followers of Jesus. Now, you know that these days there are all different types of labels of what a Christian is. We could say that they're a church person. We could say that they're born again. We could say that they're saved. Or we could just say that they're, they're Christians. All of those should be meaning the same thing. I know that they don't. Uh, in our world today, but they should, according to the Bible, be meaning the same thing. All right? A good church woman uh, should be a saved believer in Jesus. Okay? This, all those labels should be the same. But one that I think is very, very accurate and helpful to uh, the conversation in the world today is, are you a follower of Jesus? It, it not only is telling us about something that's happened to us, but it's also speaking of what we're like right now. I'm following him now. I'm a follower of Jesus today. I've been a follower of Jesus. How long have you been a follower of Jesus? I've been a follower of Jesus since he saved me, but I am following him now. Today's goal for my life is to follow him, right? So follower of Jesus is a good title for, for folks like us who are saved, born again, Christian, church people. We are followers of Jesus. It is my prayer as pastor of the church that we would be a church that people can identify as followers of Jesus, for better or for worse, whether they like it or not. But we follow Jesus. We cannot help that. We make no apologies about that. We follow him. If you don't like what he stands for, then, then you may not like us, but we follow him. As I said last week, the Lord Jesus Christ gives the marching commands for his church. Not our friends, not people, not the world, not culture. We follow him. That's what the Bible teaches. Today we see the first four that he called, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, following him. And so I want you to see in them four characteristics of a follower of Jesus. That is, followers of Jesus have been called by God. Followers of Jesus have been called by God. Number two, followers of, of Jesus obey. Followers of Jesus Obey. Number three, followers of Jesus leave something. Followers of Jesus leave something. And then number four, followers of Jesus believe the gospel. Followers of Jesus believe the gospel. They're called by God, they obey, they leave something, and they believe the gospel. Number one, Followers of Jesus have been called by God. This is the striking, obvious point in the passage where Jesus calls the disciples. This is the passage, if you're a real follower of Jesus, that you, you, you love this emphasis in the passage. And if you're one of those nominal Christians that don't really follow Jesus, but you're hoping that you're on your way to heaven, are shaken up by this, right? Peter, Andrew, James, and John are fishermen. Everybody sees that, right? They were not qualified to be uh, followers of Jesus if there are qualifications that you have made up falsely. Then they were not qualified for that. They did not walk an aisle. They did not come to church and hear the preaching. They did not go and get baptized first in order to be a follower of Jesus. No. They were out there doing their own thing. They were fishermen. They were doing their job. I don't know if you like to fish or not. I don't know if you've been on the water. I don't know if you like that. I don't know if you uh, have any experience fishing or not. I don't know if you know what a hook is or if you know what it cast it or casting a net or reeling it in or any of that stuff. 
But this is what they did. This was their thing. They were very familiar with stinky fish. They are very familiar with, with casting a net. They are very familiar with being wet. They are very familiar with a sunburn. They are very familiar with salt water. These guys were fishermen. They were doing their thing, both uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Jesus, passing alongside the sea, so Jesus going for a walk, sees them and says... Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Notice there in verse 16 that it says, As he's passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw them. The Bible doesn't say that, that they saw him and, and they started doing this number. He saw them. They're probably hard at work. I would imagine that fishermen who are trying to make a living or trying to catch dinner for the night aren't worrying about the people that are walking by. He saw them. And when he saw them, he called them and said, follow me. Now what did they do? They obeyed. That's going to be my second point. But I want you to see that the reason why they obeyed, the reason why they followed, the reason why they came is because he called them. We, we cannot miss the obvious here that he called them. It goes on a little bit and it says, going on a little farther. So now he's walking farther. He's continuing on around the Sea of Galilee. He saw the same thing, two more brothers. And they were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they came. At the beginning of this passage, we have Jesus on a walk with no followers... At the end of this passage, we have Jesus on a walk with four men behind him. Why did they get behind him? Because he called them. I want to ask you here today, in your Christianity, in your faith in God, as a follower of Jesus, are you strongly convinced that God has called you to this? That the reason why you're here today is because God is calling you to be his. Has God called you out of your sins? Has God called you to be His follower? See, what I'm talking about when I say God has called you is I mean God in His power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has come to you with truth, convicted you of your sins, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, moved you now to position your life behind Him. Does that, does that make sense? I don't want to be confusing on calling. What I'm saying is you were living your life. Maybe you were working at the Walmart down the road, or maybe you work at a school nearby, or maybe you work downtown at one of the big buildings. You were just living your life. Maybe you don't work. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, brought the truth to you. Maybe you're sitting at home reading the Bible. Maybe you're listening to Billy Graham on TV. Maybe you came to church and just visited. Maybe a friend told you about what the Bible says. But the truth of the Word of God came to you, and God in His power, God's power in the Holy Spirit, convicted you, brought the truth to you, and, and, and moved you. I don't mean like picked you up and moved you. I mean moved you on the inside to say, I want to follow him. I want my life to now be about God. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I have conviction for my sins. I realize that the way I'm living my life is not right. I realize that I do bad things. I realize that I do things that are not marks of the people of God. And God is calling me that that is wrong. And he says... Believe. He says, repent. He says, come follow me. And the Spirit's power in you moves you to say, I want to do that. 
I want to do that. This is what's happening here. Now, if you read this passage only, you don't necessarily get all of that. But you read Matthew's account of the calling of the disciples, Mark's account of the calling of the disciples, Luke's account of the calling of the disciples, John's account of the calling of the disciples. All four Gospels tell us about the calling of the disciples. And it shows that this is what was going on in them. Remember, John's account is the one that shows us that John the Baptist was preaching to them who he was, why he was coming. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That had been explained to them. They understood that they had sins in their lives that needed to be taken away, that needed to be removed, that they needed to be forgiven of. And so when they heard the call of Jesus, we're not to think that this was the first time that they had seen him or heard of him. But we are to think it, it is the, the, the momentous, the, the, the significant time where they heard his call and they said, yes, Lord, we will follow you. I remember being a teenager and I had heard the gospel before. My family was, was not active in church. We went to church if we were able to and had some free time. But I remember being 12 years old. When I had heard the gospel that one time, and it seemed to me to be a whole world of difference that day. And God called me at that age to go and follow him. I've never forgotten that. That was 24 years ago. And to this day, I still feel like God called me to salvation and that my life has never been the same since that day that he called me and I believed in Jesus. And so I follow him. The Bible says that if anybody comes to Christ, it is because God calls him. John chapter 6 verse 44 says, uh, Jesus says, the only people that will come to me are those who the Father draws to me. I want to read to you how Paul explains this to Titus, who was supposed to teach this to the pastors of the church on the island of Crete. Listen to this, chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. We were hated by others and we were hating one another. That's what our lives were made up of. Sounds very familiar. Verse 4. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You and I are to think of Peter, Andrew, James, and John responding to Jesus' call as God calling them unto salvation and them saying, yes, Lord, I believe. We will go. We will follow you. We're going to see that with the obedience. But let's be very clear that it was because he called them. You know, and don't don't get silly or, or selfish with God's word. Had Jesus just been doing one of his I need some alone time walks and been thinking nothing of the fishermen, the walk would have ended without Peter, Andrew, James, and John behind him, right? Yes. Do not think for a second that those people, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were talking to themselves like, I know he doesn't want us, but I'm going to follow him. That was not happening. 
They're following Jesus because God Almighty, the Savior of the world, called them to follow Him. He called them. And I have to ask you here today, do you understand that this is what a real church is? We are to be people who understand that God called us to this position. We realize that there are other options out there in the world for us to be doing this morning. We realize that there are other options in the world for you to trust in for the hope of eternal life. We say they all fall short. And none of them are the truth. But there are other options that people are preaching. There are other religions and there are other activities you can go get involved with. But the reason why there is a real commitment today is because God has called us to this. I dare say that we're not so much here today because we want to as much as because God is calling us to. Now, praise God that there is not a split there. What God calls us to, we want to do. And I'm glad to be here. That's why you often hear me pray on Sunday morning that this is our best time of the week. But make no mistake about it that he called them. I love it when the song says, he did it. He did it. He changed me and I'm with it. He made me what I'm supposed to be. You get close to me, you might get it. It's, it's, it's this idea that the Bible teaches us that we are His people because He called us to be His people. We have to understand that. Now, not only does, do followers of Christ show that they've been called by God, not only are followers of Christ called by God, but they have been called from something to something. And the from something point I'll hit more when they're leaving everything. But now is the place where I want to tell you that we are called by God from something to something. Now, sometimes this is a huge monumental shift in your life. But it's not that way for everybody. I mean, some people, I talked to a lady recently who said before she got saved, I mean, that day she got saved, she was as foul-mouthed as anybody ever. That's what she told me. But she said that the day that Jesus saved her for the rest of her life, she's never wanted to cuss again. Her mouth cleaned up that day. Sometimes the, the, the change is a drastic one like that. You are naturally a different person to everybody that sees you. Sometimes it's that way. But sometimes you may have already been somebody who wasn't very foul-mouthed. You had a clean mouth before you got saved. And so it may not be as, as openly visible to everybody that sees you right away. But let's not miss that God has called us from something to something. In this passage we see, they were fishermen, they became apostles. I want to ask you here today, in God saving you and making you a follower of Jesus, what has he called you from and what has he called you to? At bare minimum, he's called you from your sin. And he's called you to the work of God. Look here at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. When God calls somebody to follow him, he calls them from something and he calls them to something. What he's calling them to may have some specifics with it. 
Like He may be calling you to be a pastor. He may be calling you to be a missionary. And we pray for that. But He also may be calling you to be a bus driver as I taught just a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night. We are to understand all of our life as a calling. But He is calling every one of us, look here, to become fishers of men. What he means here is that we understand that the truth of the gospel is the only hope for everybody living. You must hear the good news of Jesus and what he did on the cross in order for you to be saved. And that becomes such a burden to us that we want everybody to know that. So whether we do work in an office or whether we are a missionary traveling the world, we want everybody we know, everybody we have a relationship with to come to know Him. This is what He means when He says, become a fisher of men. There's a passage in, the, in Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, where God speaks in this language that He will make His people hunters, that He will make His people fishers to go out and get His people and bring them in. Because God is always calling people. I hope that our church understands that not only has God called us to be His followers, but He's also calling us to be followers that go and get more followers. We often say that we want to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. We want to be a church that understands who can we reach out to? Who can we go and tell about Jesus? We see this here in the call of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He was calling them from something, being fishermen, to something, to being fishers of men. And we are to see that in our own lives. I want to ask you again, what has God called you from and what has God called you to? Number one, followers of Jesus have been called by God. Number two, followers of Jesus obey. This is the passage where, or this is, the, this is the, another part of the passage that, that people have trouble with. On one hand, Jesus calling the disciples seems like a very simple passage. But when you start to ask some questions about it, 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 it perhaps is troubling. These guys were there with their boats, mending their nets, and Mark says that they immediately followed him. That, that's somewhat troubling. Well, what happened to their boat? And what happened to their nets, Right? What happened to the fish that were there? Did they just leave it? Did it get adrift at sea? Was it lost? Did they throw it away? Well, we don't know. They didn't all of a sudden become foolish. They didn't all of a sudden become unwise. And like I said, reading from the other Gospels, this is probably not their first encounter with Jesus. Matter of fact, it is in John chapter 1, verse 37, where it says, John the Baptist there with Peter and, 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 and Andrew says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, he had already said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the second time that he points out with them. It says that Peter and Andrew are there with John the Baptist. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And at that point, it says that Peter and Andrew immediately went and followed him. Which is an outstanding verse, passage to show us that John the Baptist was never the main thing. John the Baptist's ministry was about Jesus, just like our ministry should be about Jesus. I don't want you to be proud of First Baptist Church Fairdale if you're not more proud of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you more proud that I'm your pastor than you are that Jesus Christ saved you from your wretched sins. 
And John the Baptist is the man. Jesus says that there's never been anybody born ever who is more awesome than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has two of the patriarchs of the church standing with him. He says, behold the Lamb of God. And they say, okay, we'll see you later. And they're done with John. John dies like in the next chapter. They're done with John and their lives are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's an element to the calling that is filled with obedience. Look, I'll, I'll read it to you again. Verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The, the obedience in this chapter is incredible. Last night, I let the kids play some video games, even when I was wanting to watch basketball. I said, all right, we'll give you ten more minutes, ten more minutes. And the clock said nine o'clock. I said, so at nine ten, we're turning it off, right? Yep, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Daddy. Sorry, nine ten, you turn it off. So at 9.09, I said, what time did I say turn it off? They said, 9.10, we got one more minute, Daddy. I said, okay. Well, at 9.15, they were still playing. I said, J.J., you told me you were going to turn it off at 9.10. He said, all right, I'll turn it off. I said, well, you told me you were going to turn it off at 9.10. He said, all right, I'll, I'll turn it off. Still playing. I said, J.J., you turn it off right now. He said, can I finish this part? I said, J.J., this, this is not obeying. If you told me you're going to turn it off at 910, you turn it off at 910. You don't keep trying to disobey and act like you're obeying. Church, we need to, to make clear that we understand what the Bible says about obeying. Jesus teaches that if you love me, you will obey me. He says that very thing in John chapter 14. We see this here in the calling. In, in the cost of discipleship passages, which we have found in the Gospels, there are, there are examples of people saying that they want to follow Jesus, but the issue with them is that there's no obedience. There are people willing to raise their hand, willing to be baptized, willing to walk an aisle, willing to come to church, willing to go through a new members class, but they are not willing to obey God. And Jesus says, you are not fit to be my disciple if you don't want to obey this is why discipline is so important in the world, in our schools, in our classrooms, in our homes. Discipline is important. For if a kids will not will obey their parents, they're not going to obey God, surely. God is often, listen to me, stricter than parents. If we don't teach our kids to obey us, good luck with them trying to obey God. It's not going to happen. If they don't have to obey us... They don't think they have to obey God. The followers of Jesus here obey. Mark even uses the word immediately. Mark even says that they left their nets and they went and followed Jesus. There was something about the calling from Jesus that produced in them obedience to God. Now with Peter and Andrew, they left their nets. But look on James and John, verse 20. Verse 19 says they were with their dad. His name was Zebedee. 
Verse 20 says that they left their father too. Again, going back to the calling, a specific calling, a calling to salvation. Zebedee didn't go. The father didn't go. I want you to see that sometimes obedience to God in your life means you're walking away from people who don't obey. Does everybody understand that? Now, I, I think that their father, Zebedee, uh, maybe becomes a believer. It's not really clear in Scripture. You read that, so we don't know. I'm not saying that Zebedee was not a Christian or never became one. I don't know. But in this passage, he doesn't go. And for you to be obedient to Jesus, you need to hear today, this message does not get any softer. Sometimes you saying, i got to go do what i got to do, is leaving everybody who says, I don't care about obeying God. Obedience to God because He saved you means that you're leaving all the people that don't obey God. You're putting a little gap there. There's a difference between us. No, I follow Jesus' word. They don't follow Jesus' word. And you've got to be okay with that. One of the characteristics of a follower of Jesus is that they obey. We see this here. John, if you would, turn to 1 John chapter 3. I want to show you a strong passage. John writing to help people be strong in the assurance assurance of their salvation. John is writing to help people be strong in the assurance of their salvation. Okay? How do I know that? I'm asking you to turn to chapter 3. Here's how I know that. Chapter 5 verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants them to be strong in the assurance of their salvation. At chapter 3, here's what he writes. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Please listen. He's talking to Christian people. Chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. Everybody see that? By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John is explaining what we mean by it is a characteristic of the followers of Jesus that they obey. Now... Please don't hear me in here saying that Christians are perfectly obedient and Christians never sin. That's not what he means. But he is saying that inside the Christian is a desire to obey. And every time a Christian does not obey, they are convicted of it, broken of it, and they come and repent. That's why the message is repent and believe that he was preaching. But it is a characteristic of Jesus' followers that they obey. James and John, Peter and Andrew left their nets, their father, and they followed. Why, was they, why were they walking behind Jesus? Because he had called them. They had obeyed his calling. I want to ask you here today, are you obedient to Jesus? 
It's part of the thought process in your life on what you do, what you do Monday through Saturday. Or what you do, what you do every bit of the day. Or even why you do what you do throughout the day. Is it driven by because this is what Jesus says? Followers of Jesus obey. Number three, followers of Jesus leave everything. Followers of Jesus leave everything. This is a hard one to explain sometimes. That's what makes this passage a little bit strange. But because the calling to God and salvation and eternal life, because the calling to discipleship, meaning to follow Him, is, is so real and so urgent and so, so deep and so true and so eternal life meaning, that whatever is holding you back has to be abandoned. And I realize that there is a real sense in which things hold us back. Got a little boy in the church who, for a while now, has professed faith in Jesus. Seems, by all accounts, to be saved. I think he's trusting in Christ. But he keeps saying he doesn't want anybody to know. Now, on one hand, he's just a shy little boy, right? And we understand that. And we can trust the goodness of God that in due time He will overcome that. But there's a real aspect in the Bible that for one to believe in Christ, they must be willing to overcome whatever holds them back, even our shyness or our fears of other people knowing. I realize that in the world where opposition and opposing and, and threat and ridicule and those things, there is a little bit of hesitancy to not throw it out there because of what the backlash might be. But we must understand that Christians are those who leave behind whatever holds us back in order that we would be unashamed for Jesus. That our allegiance for Him would be crystal clear. We follow Jesus. He is my Lord. He's my King. This is seen here. Now I'm not asking you to leave your nets in the, uh, in the fishing pond this afternoon and say, no, I'm getting committed to Jesus. I'm just leaving my, my, my uh, tackle box here. But we are to be thinking that whatever it is that's holding us back, we've got to let go of. That's what it means to follow Him. The Bible teaches us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and let everything else be by the wayside. We are a focused people. Now, we want to do a lot of things. We've got our hands in a lot of things. We volunteer here. We serve here. We do this. We do this. But there is a singular focus to us that says, I'm focused on Jesus. And everything else is secondary. They leave everything. There's a passage in Luke chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, where people are trying to ask and understand about salvation and understand repentance and understand uh, what, what does it really take to be saved and what if type of questions. In Luke chapter 13 verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will die. 
you must understand, I have to turn and leave behind the sinful ways that are holding me back and embrace Jesus. When he says that in verse 3, they, they present another scenario in verse 4. And in verse 5, he answers again, and no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Same thing. We are to understand that when we come to Jesus, we are saying He is the most important thing in my life. My utmost allegiance is to Jesus. Nothing gets in the way. This is a characteristic of followers of Jesus. There's, a different, there's different ways that, that, that it's described. On Sunday nights, we're going through this Fruit of the Spirit series, which has been very encouraging. Tonight, we will hear another sermon on... What's the topic tonight? Faithfulness. Tonight, we'll hear a sermon on the Fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. That's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where the Fruit of the Spirit are listed. I want to share with you another passage. The verse right after that, verse 24, says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you want to follow Jesus? You identify what are worldly ungodly, 1 John chapter 3 that I just read, of the devil, passions and desires. And you acknowledge they've been crucified with Christ on the cross so that you can live all out, all in, fully surrendered to Jesus. Followers of Jesus leave everything. I want you to hear this quote here from Matthew Henry. There's a tendency, isn't there, to think that that means I'm just going to be worse off. Got to say goodbye to some good things. Life's going to go downhill from here, but at least I'm going to heaven. That's not it, y'all. That's not it. The reason why we leave everything is because we're going to something better. We're going to something more worth it. We're going to a Father in heaven that loves us better than anything else can. Had to have a really, really hard, heartfelt conversation with somebody this week. And I had to say to them, you have to trust that God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. And if you believe that, you'll be willing to leave all that you've planned. But if you won't believe that God's plan for you is better than that, you'll stay back there holding on to the old stuff. And you won't be a follower of Christ. Matthew Henry says, The word of God rightly used does not leave a man or woman as it finds him or her. 
but it improves and makes him or her better. What a good quote. The word of God rightly used does not leave us where it finds us, but rather it improves and makes us better. Yes, followers of Jesus leave everything because we don't want to be the best people we can be. We want to be people of God for God's glory. Even the best people in the world, the best citizens in our town, need the Lord Jesus Christ so that their lives would go from being good people to godly people. So that their lives would go from being the best we've ever seen on earth to the best that we've ever seen in heaven. So that we would not just impact around here that other people would have better lives. So that we would impact around here so that people would have better eternity. This is the heart of God's church. That we don't want to just be the best teachers and coaches and citizens and neighbors that we can be so that our neighbors and players and students are better people with better lives. We want them to have better eternities. We want to be able to die and they die and know that they are safe in the hands of Almighty God. That they are on their way to heaven and not on their way to hell. That they are living with God in His love forever. And so we leave everything and follow him. Number one, followers of Jesus have been called. Number two, followers of Jesus obey. Number three, followers of Jesus leave everything. And then lastly, followers of Jesus believe the gospel. If you look back at Mark chapter 1, it tells us what Jesus' message was. And anybody that hung around Jesus knew this was the message. John chapter, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Sorry, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the sermon of our master, Jesus. And anybody that comes to follow him knows that's what he teaches. I watch basketball on TV a lot. NBA playoffs are going on right now. And you'll often hear them say on TV that you can tell this player went to that school because he learned that skill from that coach. You can tell that he went through that program because you can tell he's got that training. When I was in college at North Greenville University in South Carolina... We had to put all of our papers in a format, a grammatical paper format, which, which Garth may know about, called Turabian. It's horrible. But every one of your papers had to be exactly in a Turabian format. It's this big, thick book. Your margins had to be the same way. The fonts had to be the same thing. Your spacing had to be the same way. Your headings had to be the same way. They'd assign these big, huge papers, and it had to be in Turabian. And you may have written the best paper you've ever written in your life, the most profound stuff. But if your name and date and title were in the wrong place, you were going to fail that because you could not follow instructions on the formatting of a paper. It had to be done the right way. And after you've written enough papers and been through enough classes, you got it. 
But nowadays, especially when we get to the next level of seminary or something like that, and you meet anybody that's known Dr. Walter Johnson or been to North Greenville, and somebody says, hey, the paper needs to be done in Turabian, everybody's like, got it. He taught us Turabian. When you've been under the influence of somebody who has a clear message, you come out carrying that clear message. The Lord Jesus Christ has a very clear message. Repent of your sins and believe that He died for them and be forgiven. And that is from the love of God. And that is for everybody. The characteristics of the followers of Jesus is that we believe that message. We are not afraid or ashamed to say that message. Yes, it means people in their sins must turn from their sins, but it is turning to a God that loves them and will forgive them and will save them. We are to be a church with the characteristics that we follow Jesus. He's called us. We want to obey Him. We will leave everything to make sure we get Him. And we believe His message, the good news of the gospel. Today I ask you to make sure that you are following Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this simple passage of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. That they were people who had their own lives and were doing pretty good at them. But you called them. You changed them. Father, I pray that we would be a church that very clearly follows Jesus. We are identified to Him. We are aligned with Him. We believe Him. And God, we ask today that You would be a work in our hearts. We ask, God, that as You have saved us, that we would become fishers of men, called from something to something, and that we would be a church that is helping people find You. Help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.